When you think of getting something done, who do you think of? In the business world, this might be someone that can come and close out the deal. But someone that, may, someone that just has a way with words that whatever they say, they can do what needs to be done. In the sports world, we call these people closers. Not just a baseball closer, but the never-ending conversation in basketball is, who would you want to take your last shot? We're in the NFL playoff season. Who's the quarterback that you want at the end of the game with two minutes to go? Some might say Joe Montana. Some might say Tom Brady. I'll leave that for you to decide. He didn't come from Arkansas's football team. I know, I know that. that but what we find this morning isn't someone who's a closer. What we find this morning isn't someone who's going to get something done. This morning we actually find this man named Jonah. And he's as unlikely of a prophet as we will ever meet. But he's not the only one we find this morning. We also find this people of Nineveh. This city, this great city. And what we're going to see is that there are an unlikely people that receive an unlikely prophet. And the last thing I want us to see this morning is that the message that they hear, this proclamation of the word of the Lord, will actually turn out to be an unlikely proclamation. Because this Unlikely prophet going to an unlikely people will make an unlikely proclamation. And what I want us to see in this is the workings of God. How God uses a person like Jonah and a people like Nineveh in a message that really doesn't, when we first look at it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Because when we hear this message, what we have to understand is that a lot of times we don't like, we don't like it. It doesn't make sense to us. But what I want us to see is, does that make a reflection upon who we are and are what our hearts have been prone to do? So let's look at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And so we aren't, we aren't entrenched in the Old Testament as the people of Israel would have been. Because Jonah, son of Amittai, really probably, in, let me ask this. Does that name ring a bell for anybody? I mean, we might, son of Amittai, does that ring a bell for anybody? That's what I thought. But if you were an Israelite, you would know, you would know this name, because we've actually heard this name before. In 2 Kings chapter 14, we are introduced to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And he was from this small little city on the north end of the kingdom. And this person, Jonah, actually has prophesied before. He went to the king of Israel at that time, Jeroboam II, and proclaimed to him, if you expand your kingdom, 
if you extend the borders of the north, you will be successful. And while that might be fine and dandy, here's the problem with all of that. Jonah is in the northern kingdom. And if you know your church history or your Israel history, you know that anytime we speak of the northern kingdom, we have a major problem. Because what does the northern kingdom represent? Well, the northern kingdom were ten tribes who separated themselves from the tribes of Benjamin and the tribes of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah. Here's the problem we run into. They divided because they hated each other. They divided because they didn't want Benjamin and Judah to have all the power. But here's the problem. As soon as they divided these kingdoms into two, they no longer had access to the temple of God. For the temple was in Jerusalem, which was in Judah. And so at its very conception, this northern kingdom automatically becomes a rebellious people. They have no access to the God who has established them as a people. They have no access to go and make sacrifices for their sins on the Day of Atonement. They have no access to the presence of the Lord who delivered them out of Egypt. And so by default... They are a wayward people. They had 19 kings who ruled over them, all of which turned to their own evil ways and put priests in high places. They put priests in high places. They created their own form of worship because they did not want to go to Jerusalem. This is the background. This is where Jonah is from. He is from the northern kingdom. He is a prophet to the northern kingdom. But not only that, is that Jonah also has a contemporary, two contemporary prophets preaching to the northern kingdom. They were Amos and Hosea. And I don't know if you know anything about those two books, but there's two things consistency, consistent with both of their prophecies. They call God's people back from being a wayward people. They call people, God's people, back from living lives autonomously outside of the Yahweh, the God that redeemed them out of Egypt. They called the people of Israel out of their sins. Now, why would I just give you a very brief introduction to all of Israel's history? Because Jonah was a part of these people. Jonah has grown up in this culture where God blesses a kingdom when they exert military success. God said, expand your borders and it will happen. And how often does that sound like us. We think that just because God has blessed us, that he is automatically giving us a stamp of approval of everything that we've done. 
rather than understanding that God can actually bless us in spite of our own sin. Here's the other irony. This prophet from the northern kingdom. Read, do you hear what Jonah did? Here's the command of God. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. How does verse 3 start? But Jonah rose to flee. God tells him to go somewhere, and he goes in the other direction. Three times the narrator says he's fleeing to Tarshish. Two times in verse 3, it tells us Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Nineveh's to the east. You're supposed to go there by land. Tarshish is in the west, and you get there by sea. As my professor from seminary, Jay Sklar, said, this type of rebellion is something recorded in no other prophet that we find in scriptures. This is the opposite of the job of a prophet, who was to stand in the presence of the Lord, the heavenly king, and receive messages from him to pass it along to others for their own blessing. Jonah is fleeing from where he's supposed to do. He's fleeing from the responsibility he's been given. And he's fleeing even the character of what's supposed to be for God's people. Jonah missed it. His heart had become hardened. And he began to presume upon God's grace. He thought, just because I have this sign of circumcision, everything will be all right in the end. He thought that just because who he was, an Israelite, that it didn't matter what type of life he lived. It didn't matter what he actually believed in or or anything that he had done. He presumed upon God's promises. And as much as I can draw an application from that, I actually don't want us to draw an application from that. I want us to draw an application of what we might to do, what might do because of this. Because it really might be easy for us to say, oh, let's just not be like him, right? And it might be really easy for us to say, I can do better. You know, if God came to me, revealed himself to me, gave me his word, I would obey all of it. But our response shouldn't be, I can do it. Our response to seeing what this prophet does in sinning and running away from God should be, Father, please send a better prophet. Father, please send someone greater than Jonah. Because if we know our own hearts, if we know that the way that we think about God and what he's doing what we really should know is that we're a lot more like Jonah than we would like to admit. And there's good news. Someone better than Jonah did come. And his name is Jesus. This is what Jesus himself said in Luke 11, verse 32. But the point of this passage is for us to see 
the almighty power of God at work in his people. God saw that his people were in need, and he always sent what they needed. In the Old Testament, whether it's prophets or priests or kings, but ultimately, ultimately God sent what people, his people would need finally, and his name is Jesus. In this situation, he used an unlikely prophet. A prophet that sinned, a prophet that ran, a prophet that did everything he could do to get away from God himself. And as unlikely as it would seem for God to send a prophet like this, I think it's actually more unlikely of what we received. Because God not only sent a better prophet, but it was God himself the true redeemer of his people, who saw a people in need and took on the form of a servant to do what they couldn't do. In the coming of Christ, we see the true and the greater prophet that we need, not because he was like Jonah, but because he wasn't like Jonah. Jonah fled from speaking God's words of grace. Jesus came to reveal God's Grace. Jonah fled from doing what was going to be hard, if not impossible. Jesus came to do what we couldn't do ourselves. Our hope isn't that we become a better Jonah. Our hope as God's people is that we have someone better than Jonah. And his name is Jesus. You see, it's, it's really easy for us to take out a pen and a paper and write down these lists of do's and don'ts. Whether it be of Jonah, or whether it be about the world or the people that we interact with every single day. And we can make these lists in our minds, and we can just start checking them. They should have done this. Or they shouldn't have done this. And we can just think of ourselves as, man, if they would just ask me to do it, I would get it done. But God is calling us to look and confess to Jesus, who did something that we cannot do ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. You cannot make yourself better in the sight of God. You cannot make or will yourself to be something that you are not. It takes the work of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is why we need the word of the Lord. This is why we need the gospel. To remind us constantly, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. It's not about what you can do, it's about what Jesus has done for you. This is why we need the sacraments. To remind us of what God has done for us in Jesus, but also as a sign, actually applying the grace of Jesus Christ to our hearts that we might follow him. This is God's amazing grace. 
This is why we need each other. This is why we meet together to stir one another up to help us to see that without Jesus, we're the prophet that will run away. We're the prophet that will think this message is too hard. This life isn't worth living. To remind each other of who we are in Jesus. This was the unlikely prophet that we saw, and we also see that he was sent to an unlikely people. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria from around the time of 750 B.C. onward. And Nineveh had a rap sheet, right? Here's some of the things that Nineveh was known for. Extreme intimidation. They would stretch out bodies after their war, and they would skin people alive and hang their skins on the walls or cities. After they conquered a city, all of everyone who survived, they would cut off one arm and both legs. They would leave one arm so that they could shake their hands as they left them to die. This city was wicked. This city was cruel. This city was a terrorist state. Yet this is what we hear. It is this people that was the object of God's missionary journey for Jonah. It was to this people that Jonah was called to proclaim against its wickedness so that they might repent. It is this type of wicked city, this type of wicked people that we read of in Romans chapter 1. Right? This, this is the type of people that Paul is describing. They're, they're sinners. They're full of envy. They murder people. They're full of strife and malice. They gossip. They're slanders. They hate God. They're boastful of their evil. They've become fools. And what Paul reminds us is God will show no partiality to those type of people. To a type of people who live in this sin. But God says they are not without excuse. For they have hid the truths about me inside their hearts, but they have seen through the creation, they have seen that I exist. And they will be held accountable. This is the message that Jonah is sent to give them. Your evil has come before the Lord. I don't know about you, but I really like that message. Right? I like the message that bad people have found, that we have found justice for bad people. Here's, here's the problem with reading Romans 1, 18 through 2, 11 in that way. Do you know what bookends that, that passage? 
This is Romans 1, 16 to 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as, as it is written. The righteous shall live by faith. Do you know what comes after Romans chapter 2? Romans chapter 3. Good answer. This is what we hear in Romans chapter 3. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, this is what Jonah's doing, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because of his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He's telling the people in Rome... If you don't have faith, you're just like the people of Nineveh. Your evil will be dealt with. Paul tells them, your circumcision, how you presume upon God's grace that he will bless you just because you are who you are, becomes uncircumcision without faith in the gospel. Because this is what's true about the gospel. Nobody deserves it. Nobody. Not you, not me. Nobody deserves the gospel. But it is revealed because of the righteousness and mercy of God himself. So this is the question. Do we just want to keep this grace for ourselves? Or do we want others to hear of the grace that we have found in Jesus Christ? We might think this is really hard. We, and we might also think, oh, he means that I have to pray for ISIS. Yes, I th that's actually what I'm saying. You should pray for ISIS. But it comes a lot closer to home than that. Students, these are people in our classrooms that we don't like. These are our coworkers. These are the people in the marketplace that we don't want to associate with. These are people who vote a different way, who drive a different type of car, who go to a different type of school. Or do we have hearts that have been transformed by this grace where we can actually pray for our enemies that they might know the same grace that we have known? That we can see our enemies, that they are desperate, that they are depraved, but because they are people, they have dignity. 
and they have a Savior in Jesus. How do our hearts feel when we consider that dangerous, crooked people that fulfill all the desires of their heart might hear the message of Jesus? And typically, it's not a good answer. Typically, I want to save God's grace and mercy for myself. And typically, I want God's judgment to come upon the unrighteous. And if that's what my heart reveals, it means I'm just like Jonah. I don't think that those people are worth it. That God really doesn't love those people. And what that reveals is the gospel hasn't really changed my heart. Or do we allow the spirit to move in our hearts that we, like Paul, can desire that our fellow brethren be, be saved? Not storing up judgment for them. Not keeping the message of mercy and grace from them. But we really, truly desire that every knee will bow at the name of Jesus with praise and adoration. You know, this unlikely people of Nineveh heard this unlikely proclamation. They need the same thing that we need. That they are people who God desires to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth of who God is and what he has done in Jesus. As soon as we divide the world into the categories of those who deserve it and those who don't deserve it, we've lost all sight of who Jesus is and what he has done in the gospel. As soon as we hold back grace for ourselves is when we find out that God will hold out the grace for us. Because we truly didn't deserve it in the first place. But he is good, and he is kind, and he has sent his word to us that our sin has come up before him. Repent. Draw near to the Lord. See that he is merciful and that he is good in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Nothing in our hands that we bring, but simply to the cross do we cling. Lord, change our hearts. 
May we see the world as you see the world. And may we follow by faith in Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen.